Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentions, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. This is Solvable. I'm Jacob Weisberg. I did say to my wife early on, I said, you know, if I had the choice to spend a year in space or a year in this apartment, this apartment wins every single time (laughs) because, you know, space has all kinds of other challenges. Retired NASA astronaut Scott Kelly made history in 2016 when he returned home from a year-long mission in space. He spent 340 consecutive days away from family, friends, and loved ones. 340 days without gravity, and also without hugs and without a home-cooked meal. In many ways, that prefigured the kind of social isolation that so many of us have been forced to live through during this pandemic. Obviously, a year in space is different from social distancing during COVID-19. But that experience did teach him some lessons that make facing the challenges of this time a little easier. It's going to be tough. There's no question. I've spent three Christmases in space. Um, you know, it's a unique place to spend a holiday, but at the same time, you want to be, you know, with your friends and family. Uh, people just need to realize that this is part of our collective mission. There is no shame in asking for help. On the space station, I had to talk to a psychiatrist every two weeks. Kelly trained hard for his missions and now has some advice 
for how to build up both our physical and mental health during challenging times. Hi, I'm Scott Kelly, former NASA astronaut, and my solvable problem is the depression and anxiety that we can all expect to experience during this pandemic. Scott, welcome. The uh, I have to ask you, the SpaceX Falcon just launched, taking four astronauts to the space station for six months. Um, and I just wonder what your thoughts were about that, especially at a moment when the country and so much of the world is facing a very different kind of separation from normal life. Well, I was uh, excited uh, for NASA. You know, we've been working on uh, that commercial crew program for almost 10 years now, I think. And uh, to now have the capability to uh, regularly launch people into low Earth orbit and get them to the International Space Station is a, is a huge uh, success. You know, more personally, I am friends with all of the people on the spacecraft. Suichi Noguchi, uh, the Japanese astronaut, is an astronaut classmate of mine. I was also in space with Shannon Walker, on her previous mission, which was 10 years ago. And uh, I closed the hatch on her when she was returning to Earth. And now it's been 10 years since she last flew. So that's exciting. Uh, Mike Hopkins was my crew support astronaut on my last mission. So he helped my family. And then Victor Glover. I don't know him as well, but he's a new guy. Uh, this is his first space flight. So very, very exciting, both for NASA and, and uh, me personally, because my relationships with those people. Yeah. So as you say, you know, three of the four really well. So I imagine it's less a matter of you giving them advice on dealing with six months in space than on kind of comparing notes about all of your experiences. But what's that what's that conversation like? I mean, what when astronauts talk about the experience of long term isolation in space, what do you talk about? You know, well, in the, specifically with the those three folks that have experience on this flight, their experience is so uh, extensive you know they they've all flown in space for a long duration space flights so i wouldn't give them any but when you're talking to somebody new i mean i think for me it's important that uh they have the right perspective and in the case when i flew for a year uh my perspective on that mission was me being there for a long time was uh was part of my job that's why i was doing it and uh you know i think in this pandemic now and the isolation we're currently experiencing, uh, people just need to realize that this is part of our collective mission. It's the first time in our um, in my lifetime that you know everyone on the planet has been working um, to solve a problem in a, in a collective way to follow the guidance to do the right thing. So, I think the first thing I, I tell people is to just understand that you know part of the, part of your job is just being there for a long time. And it's not going to be easy. But, you know, if you if you think about it, if you're thoughtful, if you have a plan to get through it, you can get to the end of that six months or however long you're going to be in, in space with as much uh, energy and, as, and enthusiasm as you had in the beginning. And that was the case that I found in my year-long mission. I think of being an astronaut as the definition of having a mission. But it's interesting that you say a big part of the mission is to get through the mission. Right, which is something I think a lot of people can probably relate to right now. And six months isn't a crazy time frame estimate for how long, how much longer we're going to have to be isolated, uh, at least to a significant extent. Um, and it's a long winter with a lot of darkness. 
being around few, if any, people for for some of us. I mean, do you what's what's the same about it? What's different about it? Well, uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was living in a uh, in a high rise apartment in downtown Houston, which was, I guess, a little bit more stressful in that you're coming into contact with a lot of people in the elevator, you know, on a daily basis. But despite all this, uh, I did say to my wife early on, I said, you know, if I had the choice to spend spend a year in space or a year in this apartment, this apartment wins every single time <laughs> because, you know, space has all kinds of other challenges, uh, you know, particularly the, uh, you know, the floating, you know, despite it being fun, it makes just about everything else more difficult to do. The uh, carbon dioxide levels are generally fairly uncomfortable. You know, the fluid shift to your head makes your head always feel stuffed up. But there are many, many things that are very similar about uh, how you deal with isolation. Uh, and in my case, you know, I flew a six-month flight that a few years prior to me flying in space for nearly a year. And I, at the end of that mission, I just found the, you know, the anxiety building up, the walls closing in a little bit. So, you know, a year uh, flight was not all that appealing to me in the beginning, but you know, I wanted to fly again and I wanted it to be more challenging. So eventually I came to terms with it. And, uh, but I went into the, it with a plan. You know, my plan involved things like, you know, very closely following a schedule, pacing myself, you know, making time for work, but also time to rest, time for hobbies, time to connect with, uh, you know, family and friends. And I did that very deliberately in the beginning of the pandemic. It definitely helped me through a year in space and is, uh, I think, you know, having that mindset of this is my mission. Here are the things I need to do, you know, to take care of myself, my family. You know, it's important, you know, exercise and, uh, you know, getting outside is uh, is incredibly important, especially in this pandemic where, you know, having a healthy immune system is really, really important. So and those two things can, you know, really boost your immune system. So a lot of parallels. Yeah. Talk about the technology part of it, because for so many of us, technology is a blessing and a curse in the time of the pandemic with social isolation. It lets us do things remotely and enables all sorts of things, but it can feel really oppressive. And, I, you know, I've never seen a picture of someone surrounded by more technology than, than you on the International Space Station. So how do you think about that? Well, I think we're just really lucky to live in this time and uh, to go through a pandemic now versus 1918. You know, it makes isolation easier because, you know, the entertainment value, having that technology to entertain us, to allow us to connect with our friends and family, very, very important, gives us access to a lot of information. Yeah. Scott, when you're isolated, is it helpful to stay closely involved with the news. I mean, in your case, the news from Earth, but I think a lot of people are having this question right now is, you know, does being on top of the news make you feel in control and knowing what's going on or does it does it have a negative effect on you? So I found in space that following uh, the news on Earth was really important. Having said that, I am kind of a news junkie. <laughs> in uh, this type of, uh, you know, environment, Information is everything. It's it's the most important thing we have. It's how we prepare ourselves to combat this worldwide pandemic. So now having said that, 
you got to follow like informed and trusted sources. Uh, one of the things I learned in my 20 years at NASA was everything we did was not rocket science. But when it was <laughs> rocket science, you need to get your information from a rocket scientist. Yeah. You know, not one of your friends on Facebook. I mean, they might be great people, but, uh, you know, they're not epidemiologists probably. I mean, maybe some of them are. But, uh, you know, people just, we need to be getting the right information from trusted sources from the experts. Yeah. I mean, an astronaut who didn't believe in experts would, would be an astronaut with a short life expectancy, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, everything we do, you know, you do as part of a team and you, you know, members of those teams are the experts. It's not, you know, your cousin Vinny on Facebook. <laughs> Indeed. Scott, I read somewhere that you took one of my favorite books into space, and that is uh, Endurance by Alfred Lansing, which is about the Shackleton, the Doom Shackleton Antarctic Expedition. Um, what about that book is resonated with you, and do you, is that still something a book you think about? You know, when I was getting uh, ready to fly for six months, I, I wanted to bring a book with me that if my situation – ever got really uh, dire, which can happen. I mean, generally our living conditions up there is pretty, is, is okay. But if it ever got so dire that I started feeling sorry for myself or thinking, yeah, I can't do this, I would just pick up uh, Alfred Lansing's Endurance, read a few pages and feel a whole lot better about my situation because, I mean, there really is an incredible example of not only surviving in a uh, extreme environment, over 20 people marooned on an iceberg for over a year after the ship sank in the Antarctic, but also an example of leadership that Ernest Shackleton displayed to get his crew to rescue themselves over the course of a two-year period where no one died. I mean, it's just really an amazing, amazing feat of uh, teamwork and uh, leadership and survival. So I flew with that book twice in space. I brought it with me. That's so, that's so great. And uh, I, I recommend it as highly as you do to anyone who had read it. Among other things, it's just one of the great adventure stories of all time. That 2015 mission where you were in space for a whole year, that was uh, extraordinary uh, in that it was partly a physiological study uh, related to the fact that you have a twin brother, Mark, just elected to the Senate, also former astronaut. And it was sort of a unique opportunity to study what happens to someone in space against the control group of someone who wasn't in space. Tell me about that mission, what, was, what you were trying to find out and what we learned. Well, interestingly enough, the, uh, me spending a year in space had nothing to do with me having a twin brother, an identical twin that was also uh, an astronaut. It was kind of an afterthought after I was already selected and kind of came up out of a question I asked uh, – when they were getting ready to announce the crew of me and Misha, uh, my Russian brother from another mother, <laughs> uh, Russian cosmonaut, um, they were giving us, NASA was giving us a briefing on the science so we could answer questions from the media about the science. And in that briefing, I said, hey, is there anything planned, any kind of experiments with my brother and I? Because, you know, being identical twins might give you a, you know, unique insight and the answer I got was no. And they went back and talked about it for a few weeks and then went out to the uh, you know academic community. And there was a lot of interest, even though 
it was a, uh, a sample of one, they felt like there would be enough anecdotal information that they would, uh, you know, give them insight on other areas to investigate. And um, yeah, there was a bunch of science done and some really interesting results. And what have we learned so far from from that um, somewhat spontaneous experiment? I, I'm sure that the data will continue to accumulate as you uh, both get older. Are you are you five years older than your twin brother now as a result of spending a year in space? No. Um, you know, that Einstein's, what is it, uh, general relativity, uh, time dilation thing, I think I'm now... I used to be six minutes younger. Now I am like six minutes and several milliseconds younger <laughs> as a fact, result of being in space for so long. Some of the other results, though, were pretty interesting. You know, I'm not a I'm not a scientist. Uh, I only play one on TV. Um, yeah, some pretty interesting stuff. My uh, telomeres changed while I was in space. My uh, telomeres are these ends of your chromosomes, uh, like little caps. And as we get older, they get uh, you know, more uh, shorter and more frayed. It's really an indication of our physical age. And the hypothesis was that, you know, me in space, the stress, microgravity, the uh, radiation, you know, my telomeres would get uh, shorter compared to my brothers. They actually got longer, which was a surprise. And at first they thought, well, maybe it was due to like exercise. We exercise a lot in space because if you don't, you'll turn into Gumby. <laughs> no bones, no bones or muscles. But uh, yeah, so we exercise a lot. And uh, initially, that's what they thought it was, maybe the controlled diet. And uh, NASA, the researchers realized that there were, there was a Japanese experiment going on with these uh, small worms. They were on the space station at the same time. And their telomeres got better too. And I never once saw those guys working out on the treadmill or doing any type of exercise. So... Clearly, <laughs> there's more to this um, than we understand. Yeah. Were there any psychological observations? You mentioned on the your six-month visit, your, your earlier somewhat shorter trip, having a, a hard time towards the end of it. I wonder if you can talk any more about what that experience might have been like for our, our listeners, you know, because I think it makes people – feel good to know that while astronauts are heroes, they're also normal human beings like the rest of us. But was there any comparison to what your brother went through at any point? So, you know, a lot of those studies were based or were cognitive studies. Like we'd have to do these, uh, you know, tests that really me measured your ability to, you know, focus and uh, solve, you know, problems, things that you could do on a computer you know, throughout my year in space, I continued to get uh, better at these tests. I think maybe it was just because I was taking it very seriously. And then when I got back, I got much worse. Um, huh. But I think it's really a, just a reflection on how I felt physically and how your, you know, physical well-being definitely affects your mental well-being and vice versa. But in the case of being on the space station for a long time, I got to the end of this flight feeling in much better shape mentally than I did on the six month. And I think it's just a testament to having a plan and sticking with the plan. And the plan was to pace myself, to get exercise as much as I can, and, uh, you know, to follow a schedule. 
I think it's important to have weekends much different or as different as possible from your weekdays because you definitely you need something to look forward to. Uh-huh. Uh, otherwise, the weeks will just, uh, you know, run, run together. But I think the biggest thing for me was just understanding that this, on that year long flight, the reason I was there was to be there a really long time. And when when you recognize, uh, you know, what your mission is and have the proper perspective, I think it makes it easier. And I hope people will look at this situation, uh, you know, especially now we're coming into a really critical time with you know, rising cases, hospitalizations, and, you know, unfortunately deaths. But we're also getting close to, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I think people will naturally, you know, put their guard down and the situation could get much, much worse because just because we have vaccines identified doesn't mean they're giving us any kind of immunity at this point and won't be for some time. Now, fortunately, they're going to work eventually, but it's, you know, this is not the time to uh, not take this seriously. And this time is the holiday time, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. And basically the message to a lot of people is to be safe, especially if they're older relatives, is you shouldn't have a family gathering. Would you what how do you how would you advise people to cope with that? It's gonna be tough. There's no question. I've spent three Christmases in space. Um you know, it's a unique place to spend a holiday, but at the same time you wanna be, you know, with your friends and family. Uh, people just need to realize that this is part of our collective mission. There is no shame in asking for help on the space station. I had to talk to a psychiatrist every two weeks. So, Scott, all the astronauts would speak to a psychiatrist or a psychologist? Yeah, every two weeks, whether we like it or not, we have a uh, like a 20-minute conference with a psychiatrist, psychologist, four guys. I, I call them the brain trust I found in the beginning of the mission, I didn't even, I didn't like talking to him. But then as, you know, I got further into it, it was, uh, you know, it was a good way to, you know, share your feelings, your emotions, how you're getting along with your crew, how you're feeling about your life and your situation. And there's no, no shame in that. Uh, People are generally very, um, you know, acceptable with going to a doctor for physical problems, but for some reason, not mental problems. But there are a lot of resources out there. It's interesting. I mean, people, of course, usually do therapy in person. And now a lot of people are having some version of the experience you did of, of getting it on Zoom and trying to trying to make that a human connection. It sounds like you found that it developed over over time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and you know, I think, just think it's important for people to realize there are a lot of resources out out there. I was recently working with uh, the AARP Foundation and United Health. And they have this website that has an incredible amount of helpful information. Uh, it's connect to effect. It's the number two and uh, effect with an a dot org. And, you know, you can you can take some surveys and see if you're susceptible to any types of depression and anxiety, because this is a public health crisis. I mean, the, I, people that are having depression as a result of isolation is is really a public health crisis like the, you know, not as severe as a pandemic, obviously, but still not insignificant. So and you can also find help in your community, in the area that you live, if you're experiencing you know, stress and depression and anxiety. So I encourage people to go out there and find that information. Scott, we uh, like to uh, wind up the show by asking, what are some things our listeners can do? You know, I wonder what you would suggest to people in terms of resources for dealing with it themselves, but also in terms of 
understanding the problem of anxiety and depression that comes so often with isolation. You know, other resources now, I think, uh, are out there that can maybe, you know, help people find inspiration in their lives. If not, you know, Alfred Lansing's Endurance, maybe my book, Endurance. Um, I'm not trying to do a shameless plug here, but I think my story, you know, is one of uh, just never giving up and um, how you can, with some inspiration, realize your dreams. And hopefully it inspires people and can inspire people to, to get through this situation that we're currently in. I also have a course that's coming out on Knowable. Knowable is a uh, kind of Spotify for learning where you can sign up and listen to all these uh, classes. You know, there's a lot of resources out there. And, you know, I encourage people to, you know, seek them out and uh, help us get through this this pandemic we're in with, with as much energy and enthusiasm at the end as we had in the beginning. Retired NASA astronaut Scott Kelly logged more than 520 total days in space. He served as a flight engineer, space shuttle pilot, and mission commander, among other roles. Be sure to check out our show notes for suggestions Scott Kelly shared for ways to find support during this difficult time. And if you're struggling with depression, there's help available. You can call the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255, anytime, day or night. Solvable is off next week for Thanksgiving. We're thankful to you for listening. Please consider leaving us a review and sharing an episode of Solvable with a friend or family member this season. Solvable is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Our show is produced by Camille Baptista. Our senior producer is Jocelyn Frank. Catherine Giardot is our managing producer, and our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Special thanks to Kobe Guilford, Heather Fain, Eric Sandler, Carly Migliori, and Khadijah Holland. I'm Jacob Weisberg. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentioned, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. Wow.